It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone in the audience. Welcome to the program. Today I want to discuss what we can understand about Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Eventually I will discuss the question, why are there two creation accounts in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Well, if you believe, as I do, that Genesis was written by a person with a rational mind, then the two creation accounts are there because the two accounts answer two different but related questions. Or one account discusses something that the other did not address. In order to discuss these two creation accounts, we need to establish the context. Let me back up and remind you that all religions of the world have points in each that are contradictory with all the other religions. Thus, all religions could be false. But if any are true, there is logically only one that could qualify for that position. I can argue that Christianity can qualify as the one true religion. First, I have given good reasons to believe that the first cause of the universe is distinct from the universe. I've argued that the first cause is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, personal creator and designer of the universe, the locus of moral values, and is identical to the God of the Bible. Secondly, the creator God of the Bible has revealed himself decisively in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and has vindicated Jesus' radical claims to deity by resurrecting Jesus from the dead. Jesus claimed he could forgive sins, render final judgment of mankind, receive worship, take certain names for God, be one with his Father, and stand in God's place to inaugurate the kingdom of God in human history. Therefore, Jesus himself is God, and what Jesus teaches is true. Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, we can trust the Bible as reliable and inerrant. Trust is when we apply what we believe to be true to our lives. Therefore, we can trust who Jesus claimed to be, We can trust the promises given in the Bible. We can trust what the Bible says regarding salvation. It is by grace, through faith, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. In particular, we can trust the first two chapters of Genesis. The Bible begins with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 is a capsule verse summarizing briefly the contents of the rest of chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 serves the same function for chapter 2. Chapter 1 gives a panoramic view and chapter 2 a close-up microscopic view being largely a development of one particular facet of the whole creative picture. In the introduction of his book, Genesis, God, Creation, and Destruction, Dennis Prager says this verse alone changed the world. He continues, This verse asserted for the first time in history that there is one God, that this God is universal as opposed to tribal, and God is not within nature, but is its sole creator unlike every other god in history. The word Genesis is a Greek word signifying origin or beginning. The title of the book, following the Septuagint, refers to Genesis as a book about origins, firsts, or beginnings that God wanted us to know about, and the whole book of Genesis follows this idea throughout. The first verse opens up with this great fact. The universe began to exist. And the God of the Bible is the beginner, the creator, the cause of the universe. In chapter 1 of his book, Prager lists seven monumental ways Genesis 1 verse 1 changed history. I mentioned only shortened versions of numbers 2, 3, 5, and 6. Prager writes, second, the word created, bara, implies nothing physical pre-existed, Genesis 1, verse 1. Thirdly, everything, with the exception of God, has a beginning. Fifth, unlike pre-Bible creation stories, there is complete silence regarding a birth of the deity. The God of Genesis 1 verse 1, the God of the Bible, is not born. Sixth, for the first time in history, we are presented with a God who is completely separate from nature because God created nature. God, for the first time, is not part of nature. This God existed prior to and independently of everything else created. All things that exist depend on God, while He depends on nothing else for His existence. We are told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, part A, So God created every living thing that moves. Creation of the universe implies that God must be powerful, It is reasonable to anticipate that God always existed. We learn in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, that in fact God is eternal. And in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, that the high and lofty one inhabits eternity. Some claim God is just an eternal powerful force, but I have said that God is personal. 
Why? Well, we're told in Genesis 1 that God speaks. So that alone would imply God is personal. But let me come at this from another direction. If God were simply a powerful force, then the effect, that is, the universe, would have been there eternally with the cause. But Genesis 1, verse 1, says the universe had a beginning. So the effect has not been there eternally. Thus God cannot be a force, and hence must be personal. And therefore God has a mind. Genesis 1 shows a picture of the universe in a step-by-step progression that God had a goal and a purpose. It is no accident that the first thing the Bible teaches is creation. Creation implies purpose. Genesis 1 not only explains the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the earth, and the beginning of life on the earth, and many other beginnings, but a crucial fact in Genesis 1 is the beginning of human life. God endowed man with his own qualities, qualities which made humanity the pinnacle of God's creation. The details are spelled out in greater precision in Genesis 2. Humans are living in a universe that God created, and they are special in that they were made in the image of God. In doing so, God puts his approval on the value of human life. Moreover, here in Genesis 1 is the proper place for man and woman in marriage. He created them equal, male and female. This enormously important fact points first to the value of marriage between a male and a female, and second to the value of separate genders. This affirmation is entirely contrary to the present social idea of transgenderism. Since I am a Christian, my view on marriage is the same as Jesus' view, a view he made very clear in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus' view was one man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. So on this definition of marriage, I stand with Jesus. Because humans were created, there is purpose for our existence, for marriage, for family, for work, for morality, and how we ought to live. Besides these conclusions, Genesis 1 and 2 point out the proper place for sex. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, part A.
Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. That's in Genesis 2, verse 24. Inherent in these two verses is the conclusion that the proper place for sex is between a male and female in marriage. This observation, too, is entirely contrary to our culture. After these general observations, I turned my attention to the two creation stories in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, is a bridge between the two creation accounts. In the first chapter, all six creation days are mentioned, and man is presented on the sixth day as the culmination of creation. Then, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, the second creation story begins. This is the history of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25, the author steps back in the sequence to focus primarily on the sixth day and gives greater specificity than in Genesis 1 regarding the creation of man and woman. The structure of Genesis 1 is that there are 30 verses that speak about the physical events of creation and only one verse that speaks about the spiritual events in chapter 1, verse 26. But chapter 2 reverses the structure from that of Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25, most of the verses are speaking about creation from a spiritual perspective rather than from the physical perspective. Historically, some people have avowed that the creation narratives given in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2 are contradictory. That idea can be traced back to 1753 when Jean Astruc, a French medical doctor, wrote a commentary on Genesis that ultimately undermined the credibility of the Bible regarding creation. Astruc argued that Genesis 1 and 2 were written by two different authors. The evidence he gives for that claim is that the word for God is different in these two chapters, Elohim in chapter 1 and Yahweh in chapter 2. That, to me, isn't convincing. Astruc claimed further that where Genesis 1.24 said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth. That meant that God created animals before man was created in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I will continue this point in the next episode. Uh, In the meantime, let me remind you to exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.